name. Amen, amen. It is so good to be here. Amen. What a mighty God we serve. Angels bow before him. Heaven and earth adore him. Amen, amen. There's nothing like serving the Lord. And uh, we are glad to be here. You may be seated this morning. Amen. We want to talk about uh, expanding our leadership abilities. Amen. And God is so awesome. So awesome. It's so awesome. You know, a little bit about myself, as Pastor was saying. You know, I received my calling when I was in the military. I was on active duty, and, and God sent me to Germany. I believe to, to prepare my heart, to prepare me for the way. Uh, but just before I got to go to Germany, we uh, was on orders to return to Germany in 1984. I had been stationed in Germany back in 1971 to 73. And so I knew the area we were going to. And so we did not receive what my wife and I call concurrent travel. This is where I take my family with me. Uh, to go, I usually, you have to go and then you find a place and then you uh, can bring your family over. And so in the meantime, I decided to go to school in Virginia. And while I was in school in Virginia, I took my family to Wisconsin. My wife was, uh, and children was going to stay with her sister while I went to school. Well, while I was in school, my wife received the baptism of the Holy Ghost baptized in Jesus name my son received the Holy Ghost and baptized in Jesus name while at youth camp so they start telling me all about this Jesus name baptism and the filling of the Holy Ghost and I'm thinking they're off their rocker no way because we had just went through the Jim Jones saga you know and I said no my family is not drinking grape Kool-Aid yeah and so I get to Germany, and I was supposed to be going to Frankfurt, and so as the Army has it, the unit I was being assigned to was transferring down to Wiesbaden, which is like 30 miles to the south. And so they send me to Wiesbaden to apply for housing. And as I applied for housing, they says, no, you have to go to Wiesbaden because your unit is moving to Wiesbaden. And so when I get to Wiesbaden housing office, the lady says to me, oh, yeah, we got plenty of housing down here. So she gave me three sets of keys, and she says, you go choose the one that you want to live in. And so being smart, no stairwell, I meant no elevators in high-rise buildings, I choose the one on the first floor. And so as I chose the one on the first floor, and then I signed for it, and I, and I go back to the house to clean out the mailbox, because right as you walk in the stairwell is the mailboxes on the wall. And the one I had signed for, it had all these papers hanging out of it and all kinds of trash. But I says, who would dare to leave all this trash in this mailbox? So I said, that's number one. I'm cleaning it out. And so as I took my key and I opened it, all these tracks just fell out. Why you need to be baptized in Jesus' name? Why you need the Holy Ghost? <laughs> you know, all the United Pentecostal tracks is just falling out because our missionary, Brother Wayne Nye, was there at the time in that area, and they would go out and they would canvas the housing areas because it was out on the economy area, and they would canvas the area on outreach and just put all these tracks in people's mailboxes. Well, looking back, it was for me. 
Amen. And so, and as a result of that, we started going to church, and I was going to church for about a year, and I was faithful to the church. I had my family over now, and we was uh, attending church, and I went on temporary duty, and God started dealing with me one night, and he revealed to me who he was. He revealed to me why I need to be baptized in Jesus' name. And so when I came home uh, that weekend, I called Brother Nye, and I said, Brother Nye, I need you to come and talk to me. I think I need to be baptized in Jesus' name. So he came to the house, and we went through a Bible study, and, of course, God had already revealed everything to me. And so that Sunday, uh, he baptized me in the name of the Lord Jesus. And there was a message in tongues and interpretation. And God says, I will use you, and you will bring many people to me. And from that point, he brought me into his office the next week. And he says, Brother Parker, I feel that God is going to use you in the ministry. I don't know where, but I need to start preparing you. I need to start training you for what God may have you to do. And so from that standpoint, he started to show me the direction. He started to tell me books I needed to read. He started telling me the things I need to do, develop a good prayer life and begin to build my relationship with God, to, to set some things aside in my life and to begin to focus on the things of Almighty God so that God could pour into me what he wanted to pour into me so that I could be effective uh, in the ministry that he was calling me to do. And so here we are today, you know, all those years later, who would ever, as we say down south, thunk, <laughs> you know, what, what God will do. Amen. And so today, I, I want to talk just a little bit, and then I'm going to bring my wife. We're going to tag team a little bit here uh, in this, because when we talk about expanding ministry, sometimes we really just don't understand the value. When you are married, it becomes a team concept. It is a team thing together. And so the two of you have to be able to work together to expand this ministry. Paul told Timothy in 1 Timothy 4, 12 through 16, he says, Let no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example of the believer and word and conversation and charity and spirit and faith and purity. He says, Until I come, give attendance to reading, to exhortation and to doctrine. He said, continue in these things. Neglect not the gift that was given in thee with the giving of the, by the presby of the laying on of the hands. He said, you meditate in these things. And so doing, you will save yourself and everyone else that hears you. So there's that preparation. Notice what he's saying here. He says, be an example. Say, and so your calling and your ministry to expand, it's got to be about you. It's got, you have to prepare yourself. You have to do those things that is going to cause you to be a good example of those that are following you and those that are coming behind you. That's what leadership is. Leadership is the art of influence and directing men and women in such a way as to gain their willingness and obedience to accomplish a mission. You are an example setters. Leadership can come in three different types. Direct leadership, indirect leadership, and combined leadership. You see, direct leadership is where I just tell you, do it, and I expect you to do it. See, it's kind of like the direct leadership in the home. 
you can say to your children, clean your room. And you expect them to clean your room, their rooms. That's direct leadership. Then you have indirect. Indirect leadership is more persuasive. In other words, you set that example of what you want them to do. You let them see you pick up the paper. You let them see you clean the church. You let them see those things that you want them to do. Persuasive leadership is used more in the church than anything else because I don't have any recourse. If I tell you to do something and you don't want to do it, you can just leave. But if I set a good example and persuade you the value and the importance, then you will start to want to emulate and that's why when you look at Jesus, Jesus used more persuasive leadership, indirect leadership, than anything else. He just set the example and people began to follow him. As long as you set a good example and you have the word of God and you, you let your light shine, people will begin to follow you. And you have the indirect leadership. Then you have the combined leadership. See, combine is you take both of them together. Sometimes it's going to be directive. Sometimes it's going to be persuasive. But in the combine, when you need to be persuasive, I mean direct, then you have to begin to use a more tactful type of way. In other words, if I know a person should be doing something and I don't want to push them away, you know, yes, it would be easy to say, do it. But no. Usually what I do is I bring the person in and I set them down next to me or set them into my, uh, close to my desk. And usually I will come out from behind my desk and I'll get in two chairs just like this and I will sit and I will say, you know, how you doing today? And I begin to talk to them. And I begin to say things like, you know, when you did this, man, you did a great job. You did an awesome job when you, you did that other performance or whatever. And you're building them up and encouraging them. And then the thing that you really brought them in for because you really wanted to chew them out really good. Then you can say, do you know the thing that you sh should have did that I asked you to do? You didn't do that. And I expect better out of you. So what's the problem? See, you put it back on them to let them make the choice and examine themselves as to why they did not do what you were asking of them to do. See? So you are combined in both persuasive and direct leadership to accomplish your purpose and your will. Amen. And so those are just some of the styles of leadership that you can use uh, to get things ac across uh, as you are beginning to uh, expand your ministry. You have to understand these things because if you use the wrong approach at the wrong time, you're going to push people away. Okay. So now let's talk a little bit about how do we expand our ministry? What is God calling you to do? That's the first thing. I can't expand if I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing. You know, if I'm focusing all my attention on something that I'm not called to do, I'm not going to be effective. See, I got to know what am I calling to do. 
I think Paul in Acts 9, as we read the story, as he's on the road to Damascus, what's the first thing Paul asked the Lord? Lord, what will you have me to do? He wanted to know what his requirements were going to be. I can't expand and do something if I don't know what I'm supposed to do. See? And so this is what we must do. What is God calling you to do? We know the five-fold ministry. He gave some apostles, some prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. But there's a whole a lot of ministries. Sister Angie has a great ministry, you know. It's, you know, so we all have different ministries sometimes. There's ministries of helps. There's ministries of exhortation. So how do we expand all these things? If I know what I am called to do, then I can focus in that area and begin to develop myself in that area. And as a result, then it began to grow. And I'll talk a little bit more about that in a second. But at this time, I want my wife to come. Amen. And she's going to talk a little bit about the role that she plays in, in, in expanding our, our ministry. Good morning, everyone. We need another coffee break. They're not quite all the way awake. Um, before I start, I'd like to say, or part of starting, thank you so much to the McCalls and to the Murphys for all the arrangements. We have been looking forward to this for Ooh, since I think December, anticipating. Um, it's been touched on when I first met my husband. I, he was in the Army, and we dated for almost two years, and then we got married. And he came back from Italy, on, and we had this whirlwind. He came in, we got married. I had strep throat while we got during our wedding. Um, and four days later, he left again and to go return to Italy. And so I was left as a brand new army wife sitting in Wisconsin by myself. But the night before he left, I remember vividly sitting on the couch right outside the airport area. And he was thinking about getting out of the army. And I said, are you out of your mind? I said, no, stay in. And he was a sergeant at the time. And I said, no, Sergeant and Mrs. Rufus Parker. And I said, Staff Sergeant and Mrs. Rufus Parker. Sergeant First Class and Mrs. Rufus Parker. Master Sergeant and, Rufus and Mrs. Rufus Parker. Sergeant Major and Mrs. Rufus Parker. I said, I'm sorry, sweetheart, that I didn't know to go Sergeant Major of the Army and Mrs. Rufus Parker. I stopped in one rank um, short. Maybe that was the Lord. I don't know. But I could see him pinning on each one of those ranks. I could see him achieving. I knew that he had so much potential and that he shouldn't stop short of that potential. I could see it. I said, don't stop. Go to the top. I'm here with you. We can do this. And thankfully, he stayed in. And we had a, we had a wonderful um, Army career. And when my husband asked me, to marry him, he didn't say, will you be my wife? He didn't romantically get down on his knee, one knee, and kneel before me. Maybe that's what you got, ladies. And yeah, I'm talking mostly to the ladies, but I didn't get that. My husband looked at me and said in his own romantic way, do you think that you could ever be an army wife? 
doesn't that just make your heart pitter-patter, ladies? And I said, yeah, I think I could. I think I could be a great army wife. And he said, good, let's get married. And that was it. And the rest, as they say, is history. That was it. That was my romantic proposal. And the Army knew that we were a team. So much so that Department of the Army in 1993 called him. He was in his office, and they called him. The Army never calls. Has anyone in here been in the Army? I know we have one. Has the Army, did the Army ever call you and say, would you like to go to a certain assignment? No, they just issued you orders, right? Nod your head if I'm correct, most likely. No, Department of the Army called him and said, Sergeant Major, would you consider taking an assignment to Okinawa, Japan? And he said, no way. I lost nothing in Asia. I have no need to go there and find it. And they said, no, really, Sergeant Major, we need you to consider taking this assignment because we need a team to go there. And we have heard that you and your wife are a team, and we need you to go there and be the senior enlisted advisor on Okinawa. And they said, go home and talk to your wife about it. And he said, I'll go home and talk to her, but it's not changing them anything. And he came home and he said, sweetheart, you'll never guess what happened. He told me, and I went, yes! And he said, no, we're on orders to go back to Europe. That's our dream. And I said, I know, but don't you remember I asked you if we could ever be stationed in Okinawa, Japan? Please take it. And he said, yes, but I told you we're never going to Asia. And I said, I know, but please, sweetheart, think about it, pray about it. He went back the next morning, called DA and said, Department of the Army, and said, we'll go because he felt that it was God's will. Must have been because within a matter of 30 days, we were on the airplane, sold a car, or sold two vehicles, sold a house, got his pet space, away we went, and then we became missionaries there. My point being, I saw, I saw what this man could be. When I said, I do, I became truly became his helpmeet. I didn't know God. I mean, I knew of God. I was born and raised in the Lutheran church, but I didn't know about being a helpmeet, but that's what I became. I became his biggest fan. I knew that Rufus Parker could be anything that he put his mind to be. And I was the best wife to him that I could possibly be. I was his biggest fan. I was there with him through the thick and thin. I went out on the beaches of Okinawa and helped soldiers fill sand, little sandbags for the tables. I baked cookies and sewed on patches for the soldiers. And then when we came into the church, when I came into the church, actually, the part that he didn't tell you is he was my first new convert. My joke is that I'm still kind of working on the discipleship part. But anyway, that's just my, my first, my little joke. My first prayer as a brand new convert, standing in the church, and I, I can still see it to this day, all these years later, 
clutching the back of that pew and praying and saying, God, I see this. This is truth. This is what I've been searching for all my life. I was there without my husband, as he said. And I remember clutching the back of that pew, and my knuckles were white. I wasn't fighting against God, but I said, God, I want this so bad. I will do anything that you ask me to do. I will go anywhere that you ask me to go. But please, God, don't let this adversely affect my marriage. Let my husband see it, too, and let him come in to this truth, too. Now, had I known how much God was going to honor and answer that prayer, I never would have had the audacity or the nerve to pray it because I would have known that he could do all that God was calling him to do, but I would have been scared out of my senses to be the wife of a man of God because I didn't have enough confidence in myself to do that, but God has changed that because I'm in Christ now. But that was my first prayer. And I continue, God answered, and I continue to honor that vow. I made a vow to God, and I continue to honor it. So as a minister's wife, my job is to make my husband the best man of God that he can be. Could he do it without me? Yes, he could, because he's got God. I have no doubt that he could do it without me. Yes, he could. Would he think to do all the things that I do? No, he would not. That's a fact. That's a fact. My husband would be, I'm sorry, but clueless that the coffee grounds were still molding in the pot. Well, maybe he would catch that one. But there's certain things that he just wouldn't get. He wouldn't get. He wouldn't realize that the slides were outdated. He wouldn't realize that the flowers were out of season. He wouldn't realize that the drawing was overlooked. He wouldn't realize so many little details. He wouldn't realize that the Legos were still in the wrong Sunday school room, thrown all over the floor. He wouldn't see it. He wants to come to church. This is our relationship I'm talking about. You have to figure out yours. But each of us have our own, and each of our husbands are unique, ladies. And you have to figure out what it is your husband does not want to do that you need to pick up the ball and carry because you are his helpmeet. That's why we were created. Now, you may supplement that with lots of other things, but we were created. I, I'll just speak for me because I'm comfortable speaking for me. I'm not comfortable speaking for you. I was created to be this man's helpmeet. And when I figured out that being a professional wife, mother, and grandmother is the best job ever, I do it with everything. Now, anything else I do is icing on the cake. But that's my job. That's my calling. If you're single, then you fall into a whole different realm. I'm talking to those of us that are married. 
those of us that are helpmeets because that's the world that I live in. My husband and I are a team. I support every area of his ministry. If he could come to church and preach and go home, prepare the next lesson, next sermon, come to church and preach, go home, prepare, he would be just as happy as a lark. If he never had to hear that the garbage didn't get emptied and the whatever didn't happen and the whatever didn't happen and the... That would be great. I love your I love your title. Administrative pastor. Woo! I love it. I may make a new sign for the door. <laughs> Whatever you call it, a helpmeet. We carry the load so that he can minister the gospel. What an honor. What a calling. What an unsung blessing. What a privilege. I've been chosen to be the someone in my husband's life. I amen his sermon like nobody else does. In private, I point out... Sweetheart, I never do it in public. But I amen him like nobody else does. Because if I don't, someone else will. And then that's where his eye will go to. I don't want his eye going there. Behind the scene, I correct. I give my input. I give my suggestions. In public, I just praise him. In public, people think he walks on water. And they should, because he does. He has no faults. And if he does, you don't need to know about them. They're private. We're a team. If I tear my husband down, I'm tearing me down. You think I'm going to stand up here and tell you all my flaws? Why would I do that? Stick around a while and you'll figure them out on your own. So why would I tear down the person that I'm one with? I'm his biggest, biggest fan. I'm his helpmeet. My job is biblical. What an honor to be the helpmeet of a man of God. I'm not really well known. A few weeks ago, I was blessed to be three weeks with my daughter and her family down in Louisiana. And my poor grandson was just appalled because the pastor got up and in front of 150 people said, and we are honored to have Sister Rufus Parker with us tonight. My grandson said, he didn't even know your own name. I said, it's okay, sweetheart. I'm not too well known. It's Papa that's known. That's okay. Shh, 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 shh. I'm going to tell him after church what your name is. They should have given you a card. Then they'd have known your name. I said, it's okay, sweetheart. And after church, nobody really knew who I was. And who are you? And, oh, 
And I would then Martha's mom and Xavier's grandma and get the picture. I'm just this blank face. Fill it in. I'm Rufus Parker's wife and I'm Martha's mom and Bob's mom and the whoever's grandchild or grandmother and and that's great by me. But the minute he came, I was well known. I mean, everybody was flocking to us. And I'm okay with that because that means that I have done my job. Because my Bible says, my Bible says, I don't know about your Bible, but my Bible says in Proverbs 31 that my husband will be known in the gates. So when he's well known, I must have done my job really well because they all came flocking. Oh, I've read your book. I read your manna every morning, Brother Parker. Oh, you have. I saw your face on the missions poster. Oh, I saw your face on, on Facebook. You're going to the Arkansas. Oh, you're. Thank you, Jesus, for letting me do my job. I don't have to be known. I want him to be known because he is the man of God. I am the help meet. When I do my job, he will be known. My satisfaction comes when he can get up on Sunday morning and minister the gospel to other people. My satisfaction comes when someone can be prayed through to the Holy Ghost because I carried the burden of the administration or the flowers or the whatever, whatever it is that wouldn't have gotten done had I not been his helpmate. And then my Bible also says that my children will rise up and call me blessed, and my husband also. Okay, men, turn up your hearing aids. This part's for you. The only thing, the biggest thing, not the only thing, the biggest thing, you can take your wife on cruises, you can buy her flowers, you can give her gifts, you can do lots of things. And you should be doing all those things. If she wants a cruise, I guess, take her on a cruise. But whatever, you get, you get the gist. You can do all that stuff. But that's not biblical. That's not what she needs the most. What she needs the most from you is your praise. Her children, children, and her husband also will rise up and call her blessed. She may not acknowledge what it means to her to hear you say publicly and privately how wonderful you think she is, but her heart soars. And she puts her hand to the task that much harder, and she unites together with you that much closer. And her tenacity is that much stronger. 
So yes, continue to buy flowers, continue to book the vacations, continue to do whatever it is you think that she loves the most. I'm not downing those things. Continue to wash the dishes and do whatever, whatever. But call her blessed, praise her, thank her, acknowledge her. Acknowledge what she does. All those books out there tell us that that's what you men need. That's not what you need. What you need is my respect. He needs my respect. I need your praise and your blessing. We're one. Him and I are one. That's what we are. Ladies, build your husbands up because then you're building up your ministry. Men, praise your wife for everything that she's doing. And your ministry will be enhanced. God bless you. Amen. So our wives are a key important part of our ministry expansion. Amen. Because so goes the husband and wife, so goes the team, so goes everything else in leadership. Amen. So let me talk real quickly here for the next few minutes about ways to expand your ministry. Number one is prayer. You've got to have a solid prayer life if your ministry, I don't care what you're doing, is going to flourish and go forward. Jesus says in Luke 18, 1, I would that men would pray and not faint. If you don't have a solid prayer life with the Lord continually, I don't care what time it is, it's, your ministry is not going forward. Amen. You need to build that relationship. Jesus says, my sheep know my voice and I am known of them. You have to be able to hear when God speaks to you. You have to be able to hear when God is directing you to move and to go in a certain direction. So you need to have a solid prayer life to start with. When you start feeling that calling of what God is maybe calling you to do, you need to start praying. God, as Paul says, what will you have me to do? Amen. Know what he's calling you to do. The next thing you need to do is talk to your pastor. Amen. Your pastor has wisdom and insight to be able to give you directions. Amen. As I said, Brother Nye called me in and immediately he started putting me in the right course and the right directions of what I needed to do. Amen. To prepare myself for what he felt God was going to have me to do. See, and so I talked to my pastor. The Bible tells me in Jeremiah 3.15, I will give you pastors after my own heart who shall feed you with understanding and knowledge. They will direct you. They will get you on the right course. If you have a minister, a minister, a mentor, amen, sit down and talk to your mentor. Tell him what you feel God is calling you to do. You feel this calling upon your life. Amen. Talk to that mentor. You don't need to share your calling with everybody because I'm here to tell you that if you start telling everybody, oh, I feel like I'm called to the ministry, I guarantee you there's going to be somebody that's going to discourage you. There's going to be somebody that tries to stop you and prevent you from doing what God is calling you to do. So you need to make sure that you talk to your mentor, talk to your pastor, amen, and begin to get understanding of what God is calling you to do. Amen. You have to make sure that you study 
The Bible tells us to study to show thyself approved unto God. A workman that needed not be ashamed. Rightly divide the word of truth. You've got to have solid study time. No matter how bad you, uh, uh, how busy you may think you are, you've got to juggle a whole lot of balls when you feel a calling. Amen. And all of them are glass balls and you can't drop any of them. So you have to make sure that you spend time to study. You need to know the doctrine. You need to know what you're doing, why you're doing what you're doing. See, you can't learn what you think you already know. See? So you've got to study. You've got to spend time in the Word of God. You've got to know God. You've got to know what this book says. You've got to know the Word of God. The psalmster says in Psalms 1, 9, verse 18, he says, Open thou my eyes, that I may behold the wonders out of thy law. You need to know this book. Every year you should be reading this book through if you're going to expand your ministry. I don't care if you're cleaning the church. You still need to know what this book says. I don't care what your ministry is, if it's children's ministry, if it's the usher, whatever. You need to know what this book says Amen. Because your ministry is going to go further than just a pulpit. You have to learn these things. And this is what ministry development is all about. Amen. For preparation, preparing, studying books for your calling. If you're called to be a teacher, then talk to people who are teachers. You can get ideas about teaching. If you're called to be a pastor... Talk to other pastors, because grant to you, you're going to run into some roadblocks. You're going to run into some situations. Do you know how to solve problems? You know, most people don't know how to solve problems. They just say, oh, I got a problem, and they pray, and they're waiting for God to come and solve the problem. No, if you're going to expand your, your ministry, you need to know how to solve problems. You need to recognize there's a problem to start with. You have to need to gather information about that problem. You need to set up courses of action. Select the best course of action. Implement the course of action. And then follow up to see if you are, have done the right best course of action. See, these are things as part of your expansion in your ministry. And God's word, into it. Get into it continually to be into it. As Paul says, you know, I don't want to preach the others in myself. I become a castaway. Yeah. I got to know what I'm doing. See? So in order to expand this ministry that God is calling me to and doing, I have got to know what I'm doing and why I'm doing it. Amen. Preparation. Study. Prayer. Talking to mentors. Talking to my pastor. Getting involved. Amen. The more you hang around the church, the more your ministry is going to grow. Amen. The more you rub shoulders with men and women that are committed to God, the more your ministry is going to grow. Amen. You will find that you, they will begin to rub off on, on you and some of the things that you do. So how do I take my ministry from being good to great? Jesus says, the things that I do shall you do also and greater. So how can we go greater in this thing? And it starts with preparing yourself. I need to know my strengths and my weaknesses. 
If I were to ask you, what is your strengths? What are they? If I was asked you, what is your weakness? What are they? You need to know this. You need to set goals and visions for yourself. The Bible says without a vision, the people perish. You will perish if you have a ministry and you don't set goals and prepare yourself, amen, to accomplish. You need to have short-range goals. You need to have long-range goals, amen, to reach your vision. See, to me, a vision is 10 to 15 years down the road. And what you do is you make these short-term, these long-range goals that will mirror your vision to get you there. And then in 10 and 15 years, you will be able to see, amen, what God is calling you and doing through you. Amen. Study the area. Study. I can't, you know, talk enough about this. If you're going to have a growing ministry, you've got to study. Abraham Lincoln said, the day that you stop studying is the day that you stop leading. Amen. So in ministry, it's a continual, a continual study, a continual learning, a continual growth process. And this is what you have to do is to prepare yourself on a day-to-day basis. You've got to get along with God. You've got to know what God is asking of you to do. Amen. If you notice through scripture, they was constantly going and getting with God. They was getting along. And as a result... They began to see where God was leading them. When you study Paul's life, he went into the wilderness. Sometime in your ministry expansion, you just got to get alone. You need to get away from everybody else and just spend time with just you and God so that you can hear his heartbeat and what he's asking of you to do. So that you make sure that you are staying on the right track. And let him impart things into you. If you ever notice when Moses was taking Joshua with him. Sometimes Moses would take Joshua up with him. And if you notice in scripture all of a sudden God says Joshua stay here. Moses went back but Joshua stayed there. And as a result God was preparing Joshua at the time for the transition that would become between him and Moses. If Joshua just would just say, look at Moses and says, Moses did this and Moses did this. and So I'm going to be just like Moses. You know, he could have fell on his face. But God had him stay there with him. And God began to pour into Joshua the things that Joshua would, would need to do. And Joshua would, would need to know. And so we see as soon as Moses died in Joshua, the Lord says to Joshua, my servant Moses is dead and now you rise up. And notice what God tells Joshua. He says, be strong and of good courage. As I was with Moses, I will be with you. See, now Joshua has to expand his ministry. But notice what God tells him to do. He says, don't ever let this book depart out of your mouth. He says, because if you do it, you will have good success. If your ministry is going to go from good to great, you can never let this book depart out of your mouth. You must meditate in it day and night if you want good success. You have to meditate in this continually if you're going to be strong and of good courage. 
The Bible tells us in Romans 15, 4, that it's through patience and comfort of the scripture that we find hope. And so everything we need to be successful in ministry is in the book. Amen. It's the guide that leads us and directs us. Amen. And no matter what you're doing, as I said earlier, if that ministry is going to expand, you've got to spend time in this book. You have to build your own personal relationship with God so that you know his voice, that you hear him, so that when everything is in chaotic style, you are still effective and can stand strong. Because believe me, there will be things that will come against you. But greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Cast not away for your confidence, which have great recompense of reward. For you have need of patience, that after you've done the will of God, you might receive the promise. For yet in a little while, he that will come will come and will not tarry. Now the just has got to live by faith. But if any man draw back, my soul shall have no pleasure in them. But we're not of them to draw back to perdition. We're them to believe to the saving of the soul. So if we're going to expand our ministry, it starts with prayer. Amen. You need to have a solid, solid, solid prayer life. Every day. Daniel, three times a day, prayed. Paul told Timothy as he began to expand his ministry, he said to Timothy, I exalt first and foremost supplications, prayer, intercession, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings, and all that are in authority, that we might lead a quiet and peaceful life with all godliness and holiness. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God, who will have all men to come into the knowledge of the truth and be saved. So your prayer life is important if you're going to expand your ministry. Amen. He began to tell Timothy, he says, the things that you've seen in me do in the God of peace will be with you. Paul was Timothy's mentor. So your pastor, your mentors will share things with you that they have been successful to them. Don't forget those things. As Paul began to tell Timothy, the word is in you. Amen. Remember the word of God. Remember that it was in your grandmother and your mother. Amen. Don't let these things go, and your ministry will expand. Amen. And this is what God desires in us if we're going to expand our ministry. Amen. And have strong and good leadership as it starts with the word of God. Amen. Enroll in courses that's going to expand. Purpose Institute. Get involved. And purposes to get involved in ministry central. Amen. Get involved in Bible colleges. These things will help you grow in your ministry and expand your ministry as well. Be committed to the house of God. If you ever notice when the transition between Elisha and Elisha, where's the first place he takes him? To Bethel, to the house of God. You cannot have a ministry outside of the house of God. That's what's the first place he took him. He wanted him to understand the value and the importance of the house of God. As you notice, when Elisha says, stay here, he says, nope, as your soul live as my soul live, I will not leave you. So the house of God. I was glad, David said, when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. My feet shall stand within thy gates 
O Jerusalem. The house of God, if you're going to expand, it's got to be a burden. It's not a burden, but it's got to be a love. You've got to love the things of God. And it starts with the house of God. And when you're in the house of God, you pray, you study, you participate. You be a part of what God is doing in that local assembly. And you watch your ministry flourish. Amen. Pray God's pastor.